Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Always Aggressive Podcast. I'm Hunter Maskell, alongside not head coach Tony Ursland. Tony did not lose all his hair. There's uh, a resemblance, but this is not the head coach of Purdue Boilermakers, Tony Ursland. Tanner and head coach Tony Ursland out. Uh, had a couple meetings today, I guess. Yeah, you know, we talked about his we talked about his positions on the NCAA committees on last week's show, and uh, this week that's where he is. He's in Indianapolis at the NCAA, uh, trying to uh, trying to make the sport a better place. And we've got so. Corey behind the scenes, but we still have a fourth person on the show, head of Big Ten officiating, and Mike Haggerty over to the side here. Mike, how are we doing today? Oh, good, fellas. Good, that was good. great. Hey, we appreciate you taking the time to be on the show with us. Absolutely, this is going to be a lot of fun. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you guys. Well, 25 years of D1 officiating. Uh, you've worked all over the country, worked in nationals uh, for 17 years, been in a variety of different conferences, Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12, been all over the place. Uh, quite the resume, USA Wrestling as well. Don't want to leave that out uh, at Olympics and, and things like that. What I want to start with is some of the connections you've got with this team and Daniel Lewis, the new new uh, volunteer assistant, a new grad assistant, grad excuse assistant, me, yeah. for for the Boilers. We don't uh, want to de- we don't want to like leave Leroy out. Right, he, right, it right. Hurt his, it hurt his feelings. Right. <laughs> so you and you and Daniel go way back. Yeah, actually, you know, Daniel wrestled at Blue Springs, where I was coaching at the high school. Um, kind of towards the latter end of my career, actually, there at Blue Springs. And uh, Daniel was, uh, you know, he was special. He was the only four-time state champ that I had the opportunity to work with. And uh, so I feel very blessed to have that, you know, in, in our history at Blue Springs. Daniel was a special gift. Um, we had several three-time state champs prior to Daniel, the Don Bradleys, the Louis Caputos, Tyler Hubbards, and others. But uh, certainly uh, Daniel, uh, he was the only one that was able to pull it off four times. So, and, and then go on. And uh, I think he was a four-time All-American at Mizzou as well. He sure and, was. Uh, yeah, he's an incredible athlete and arguably the toughest weight class with Mark Hall and Valencia and those guys that were ahead of him uh, several times in his uh, his tenure at Mizzou. So, yeah, Daniel brings a lot to the table, a little bit unorthodox in his style, uh, but nonetheless, uh, very talented, very hard competitor. Do you want to take credit for his cradling abilities? Should we, should we give that to you or, or is that you're going you to pass that to somebody else? Daniel brought that cradling ability into the room. Um, what we tried to do with Daniel is actually a couple of things. We tried to build on what he already had. You know, he had some places that maybe we can find other opportunities for his cradles, especially off of his front headlocks and things like that. And then, you know, he also needed to get better in some other areas of his game. Uh, he, he had, uh, he was limited at times on his feet, I felt like, and, we just needed to do some things to make sure that he ended up on top as much as possible. That's a good place. And uh, if you're if you're a cradle guy, you got to be on top. You doesn't do you much good on the bottom. So uh, we felt like uh, from the beginning of his career that that was one area that he needed to get better at. And I think he did. I think he got more diversified in his attack. He could hit left side, right side. And you guys are probably aware he's a left leg lead. Mm-hmm. You know that brings a whole new look to the game too. So he was a special gift for us. And I'm sure it's been uh, it's been great for Coach Ursland. Obviously, he's not here to speak on it, but I'm sure it's been great for him to have someone like that in his wrestling room, uh, adding that to the repertoire of some of our guys. I'm sure as well. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I, I've talked to Tony a couple of times about Daniel, and uh, I think that he's filling the role well. 
uh, Daniel is a, is a bright guy and uh, he, he knows, I think, what it takes to win and uh, win not only on the mat, but off the mat and be a good person as well. And I think Daniel brings that. Any great Daniel Lewis stories that stand out in your mind? We got, you, got, you got a chance to put his feet to the fire. I'm ready. Um, things, there's a lot of things I can talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, on a good note, um, I remember that Daniel had, um, you know, he had quite a career, but I think it was his uh, junior year. I, I, it may have been a sophomore year, but it was his junior year. He was in the finals of a tournament, and he was just kind of cruising along throughout the season. And uh, it was a pretty high-profile tournament in Kansas City. And uh, he got teched, teched out of the match. And this is a guy that was a two-time returning state champ, you know, a guy that we felt like possibly could win four. Um, and he got teched out and um, by a kid that kind of turned the tide on him and cradled him. And, uh, you know, Daniel handled that incredibly well, that uh, it was one of those things that we went back to the drawing board and uh, he went on and, and won the weight class. And that to the third or fourth, I think. They didn't even see each other in the, in the finals, but um, I think Daniel would have got his number. Just It was one of those situational matches where he was falling into some things that he probably got careless and got cradled a couple of times by rushing things himself. And uh, so he comes back and wins a state title that year. And I think, you know, those are the kind of stories that you can tell to uh, different generations of athletes as you coach that here's a guy that he got tech by a guy and went on and won the state title in that same weight class with that opponent in there. So those are the kind of things that, you know, kind of stick out in my mind with Daniel. Um, and he's, he was a guy too, that was also others, you know, a lot of stories, but uh, he was able to bring other guys with him along in that journey and make them better. There are a couple, there was a set of twins that I think he definitely uh, helped be, make better wrestlers, the King brothers in our, in our program. Uh, and, and so it's, it's nice to believe that guys, not only, you know, they leave their legacy, but they also build on others. Right. Well, I don't want to uh, spend too much time on Daniel because you've got quite the resume and, and there's a lot of information we want to, we want to talk to yeah, we got, about we got, you we about. We got questions, Mike. We got uh, questions. Okay, good. So, you, <laughs> so being an officiating for so long, we'll start, we'll start there uh, as an official, yourself as an official before we get into, into your current job. And one of the big questions that I've always uh, wondered, always wanted to ask, we talk with Coach Ursuline. Um, he talks to his coaches uh, and to his wrestlers about not getting caught up in the moment of being able to take, take uh, with what's in front of them within a vacuum. And I'm, a, I'm sure that it's the same for officials. And your experience uh, on this side of it, uh, being the head of officiating now and being an official, was it difficult for you a learning process to keep yourself separated from the moment. I mean, you, you officiated at nationals, at, at large tournaments, to be able to separate yourself from the environment, from the magnitude of the moment, to be able to officiate a, a match properly in, in those kind of environments. Yeah, that's great insight, Hunter. I, I would say that for me, probably, <clears throat> that the, uh, the biggest thing was is um, maintain the focus on what's important, and it's the athletes. That, that you're out there to do your job to take care of those athletes and to make sure that they have your highest level of professionalism, that you know the rules, that you understand and interpret situations, uh, and, and you try to, to do your best. I, I would be totally lying to you if I said that 
there aren't certain times where there's that heightened level of enthusiasm and, and excitement surrounding the bigger matches and stuff, I think any official would be telling you, you know, what you would want to hear. I can tell you from my experience that there is a, a heightened level of that excitement in those big crowds, big arenas, big matches, but you do have to keep it in perspective. I can remember many, many times just taking those, you know, a couple deep kind of cleansing breaths before I even went out on the mat just to make sure that I kind of had my focus right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and just be prepared for the moment. In a lot of ways, it's sort of like the athlete. They have seven minutes to go out there to do their job and perform, and you've got much the same, that you go out and, and put that seven minutes together and do your very best. Mm -hmm. um, experience makes a big difference. There's no question about it. Once you've done several, it does make it, I think, a little bit easier. But at the same time, you don't want to be caught and uh, with not being prepared and going out and always having your A game when you step out there. Uh, because they, they do. I mean, officiating is one of those things. If, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, make the wrong call, it could define your career. And I've seen that happen a few times. And that's the one thing that I think scares so many officials in those big moments is they don't want that to be the definition of what they were in the sport of wrestling. You know, some bad call that's on, you know, the internet, it's played over and over again. And uh, that's some scary stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, is there any matches over your career that, that you were able to be a part of that, that stand out that has like a, a favorite moment or, a, or something that you, you reflect on as like, you know, that was really cool that I was, I was there and I was able to be a part of that match. You know, there's really not, to be honest, that, that I don't have those matches that really stand out that are um, bigger than others. Uh, some of the matches that you just, you feel good about that you walk off that maybe aren't on the big stage, but they're matches that were really, really tough matches to work and feel like maybe you got it right. Um, those are, those are big. Uh, the one place that I have had chances to work, you know, the venues and stuff, it's always exciting. Uh, certainly at the, uh, the, I worked a lot of the big 12 conference championships when those, those took place and you've got the big crowds there, um, in the bigger arenas in Tulsa and stuff. But, um, certainly the big 10, I mean, anytime you go into the big 10, you're going to be faced with not only large crowds, but and enthusiastic crowds, but knowledgeable crowds. I mean, they know the sport, the Big Ten community, For sure. uh, and, and those cultures know the sport. And so you've got to have, again, your A game there. Uh, you know, you asked the question about any one. The one that might stand out, if any of them did, was uh, working Madison Square Garden a few years ago. You know, just because of the historical value of what Madison Square Garden represents. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that opportunity to work the finals, and I think that was uh, Gilman and Megalutis, if I remember, and Megalutis won that one that I had in the finals. And I don't remember it match. so much for the value of those guys wrestling or that particular match. It was just that, hey, dude, this is Madison Square Garden. Yeah. And there's 20,000 people. And they brought chairs up literally almost on top of the mat. And it's like, you know, you don't make a mistake there. <laughs> like, you would never be able to live that one down. So Not yeah, too many was people terrible. get to say that they've been under the spotlight in uh, Madison Square Garden in the middle of the arena. Yeah, I kind of felt like a Muhammad Ali or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Very yeah, cool. That was a special place. Well, this being your first year as Big Ten coordinator uh, for officiating, uh, I'm sure still settling in. 
Uh, but one thing that I'm interested in, you kind of alluded to, is the evaluation process of a lot of the referees amongst the conference. So walk us through what that looks like on a you know a season by season basis, a week by week basis. Where you're, are you watching just all the film that you can get your hands on, or or is it more focusing on as things are brought to your attention of things that need to be addressed amongst certain officials or maybe certain weekends? Yeah, that's a great question as well. I I try not to be reactive mm-hmm. in that you know just wait until you see the worst of the worst and you know the train wrecks. Yeah. Um, I'm really proactive in getting the opportunity to watch and. Well, co- sport my coaches is- are probably never really calling you and trying to bring things to your attention. They, that's not something they would do. So I, I can touch on that. Ask me that question. I'll, 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 I'll bring some information to that. All right, um, well, we'll follow up there. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, that's another that's another good angle too. I, I think that we should probably take on that sure. that, that discussion a little bit. But um, in regards to like how I approach this is that I don't want to just you know take a look at these train wrecks and be have this knee-jerk reaction because this official maybe uh, missed something or whatever, or and you know the the reference is is that it was a bad call. Uh, so I don't want to I don't want to just take that. Um, I utilize DV Sport 360, the Big Ten Network, uh, Flow Wrestling. I mean, there's so much wrestling on the internet now that uh, you can go into the individual uh, schools and watch matches, even if those aren't being covered, but uh, Big Ten has really picked up their coverage, and DB Sport covers all of them. And that I get the same view as what the officials would get on a review. And so I can literally take my computer, split the screen, watch a couple matches at the same time, and uh, get a real, what I feel is a fair evaluation, because I can toggle back and forth. Um, I can watch, like I said, in those different angles, speed things up, slow things down, and uh, certainly... Uh, that has made my life really easy in that regard. We also have observers slash evaluators out in the field at at all of the Big Ten matches. And uh, so I get feedback from a third party as well. That definitely helps. And uh, so it's a constant, you know, since I've made the assignments at the beginning of the year for the Big Ten duels, uh, now I'm kind of in phase two in just this evaluation process looking through all the video, um, looking through the information that I get from the other evaluators and kind of assessing where we're at. Um, And so I think we are in such a better place today, you know, prior to the age of the DB Sport 360, prior to the increased video uh, work that uh, Big Ten Network has done. Uh, All of these things really bring it to a place now where, you know, if we do have something that is a little off base, uh, we're seeing it, we're getting that feedback back to the officials, uh, back to the associations. I just got off of a conference call last night with our ICWA uh, association, um, and uh, it's sort of uh, blended in with the NWA, and we're doing some really neat things like uh, monthly conference calls during the season. And uh, we had Tim Shields on last night. We listened to a lot of information from Tim and some from, you know, myself, I had a chance to speak a little bit about the Big Ten community. Uh, Kenny Ritchie was on, discussed the Big 12 uh, and some other things that are happening amongst what we're seeing. And then these guys are going to be able to take some of that uh, information into the postseason and utilize it at the bigger tournaments. So those things weren't happening, guys, two or three years ago. Uh, You know, these conference calls, 
we had a, a, a really nice, uh, the last couple of years, we've had a conference at the beginning of the season. Um, and we brought in uh, like 150 officials here in Blue Springs, actually, is where it was held at uh, one of the hotels. And uh, officials from all over the country, including Big Ten officials, were all there. And it's just like these things are happening at a pace that, you know, we were only dreaming about five years ago. So those are the things that are taking place now that make my job a whole lot easier because yeah. the, the, sh the sharing of information is available to us. Well, as Tanner alluded to, and as, as you started to talk about, uh, you know, the reactionary nature of, of the position that you're in to not be reactionary has to be able to balance out the maybe overreactions that you get from coaches, because I'm sure you, you know, the, the emails, the calls, whatever that you get from head coaches, it's not because they're watching someone else's match and they feel strongly about something. It's something that they sure. had happened to them. And you kind of have to weigh out the coaches is, is reacting based off of a way a call went against them rather than feeling strongly about for the, the good of the sport, how, you know, a, a, a rule should be interpreted or maybe a new rule that, that should be brought up. And natural, we're talking we're talking about coaches other than Tony because Tony would never, <laughs> never. He would never do anything like that. So, I've never known him to. So to we're overreact. talking about the other thirteen coaches in the Big Ten. Clearly, I, I already have an issue that Tony's not there. So he's <laughs> <laughs> you. Uh, this, this, he set this up right, and then uh, he bails on us. So yeah. um, I'll have a I'll have a discussion with Tony about that. But uh, <laughs> here's here's where I was going to go with that, guys. Um, and, and, and Corey, with your, your thought on that, and I know that you, I had the same anticipation that when I took this job, that that was the one thing, because I have had a really good relationship, I feel like, with coaches over the years, mm -hmm. because I am still involved actively in the coaching community. Um, and so I felt like that maybe that might be something that would really weigh heavy on me, is that these guys are going to you know turn anti-official, and I would be fielding hundreds of phone calls on any given weekend. Um, and I have been so happy and pleasantly surprised that, yeah, there's definitely phone calls. There's communication, um, emails, text messages that come across my desk and on my phone and computer. But at the same time, it has been far less than what I had anticipated. Mm -hmm. These coaches, uh, they get it. You know, I think they understand that, you know, they don't, they don't want to be the, cry wolf all the time that it, but if they have something that they feel needs to be addressed, most of them have been incredibly professional and have addressed me, uh, you know, in a way that, Hey, we feel like maybe they got it wrong, but you know, we just don't want to have it happen again. Uh, and so it's been a lot different than what I anticipated coming into this job that, you know, my phone would just be blowing up every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday mm -hmm. with coaches that are frustrated and upset with, with the officials calls. Um, we know that we still have a lot of work ahead of us. We know that uh, we've got to get better in certain areas uh, as, as, as individuals and as a team, but uh, the coaches in the big 10 um, kudos to these guys. And I think I can say that now because you know, the, the dual season is behind us. We're now all we have ahead of us is the big tens and, and then the national championships. And, and it could change, you know, we could get to the, the big tens and there are some issues there but all in all i mean i've i've been i've been amazed to be honest with you yeah. so so mike another kind of following along this same line and, and Corey and i talked about this a little bit yesterday when we were we were prepping for the show um 
you, you can kind of talk about this from two different angles, both as like in your time as an official and, and then as the head of officials, you know, wrestling is a sport and, and I'm the, I'm the non-wrestler of the group, just to give you a little right. background. You know, I was, yeah. a ba- I was a basketball player. And okay. uh, so there's a lot of things that, that I don't understand, but it also keeps me, you know, constantly intrigued with the sport. Um, sure. But there's, uh, I feel like there are a lot of rule changes or at least there has been over the last like 10 to 15 years. Um, you know, anything from fluctuating with the back point situations, uh, hands to the face, the, the push out rule. Um, what was, is, were there any other ones that we talked about, those Corey, that were, uh, those docking team points you said. Oh yeah. I was talking, you know, I, I, I feel like there'd been a, a high amount of team points deducted this year. Um, and maybe that's just my perception. I don't have any, his, you know, historical references this year. How as officials have you guys dealt with this year in and year out as far as like you've been calling it one way for, you know, however long. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they come in and like, hey, we're going to do it different. We're going to change this. Yeah. Adjust. Go. Good luck. <laughs> uh, man, you guys are you're, you're on it. I, that has been one of our biggest challenges, no question about it, is trying to make sure that we're staying on top of these uh, significant rule changes. And the truth is, is that most of these rule changes are pretty visible, you know, like the push out, the back out, uh, the drop down and count, yep. uh, the scramble rule with exposure, non-control takedowns. Uh, those are so big that you can really, everybody sees them, you know? And so when you've got an official uh, such as myself and old dinosaur that have been out there for a while uh, and you've called it a certain way and it's like, oh, shoot, we're in the middle of a drop down. You know, we've got to you got to be aware of that. Um, that's why I think that the, the officials, the best ones are able to adapt and they're able to really kind of move with the times, because if you are so ingrained and you're just you're so used to calling it this way and you can't you know, think in the moment. Uh, you're really going to struggle. And I think there have probably been a few of those guys that you look across the board that maybe have struggled a little bit with that because of the new rules and the way that they came at us. And uh, there are rules that, you know, some rules you don't see very often. Uh, some rules are kind of like obscure and, and on the mat. But these rules that you're talking about are rules that are like right in your face. Mm-hmm. And uh, you better have adapted to make those adjustments and changes. As a whole, I think we've done a really, really good job. Um, I think it's also very helpful to understand, too, that the Big Ten is the only conference that always has an outside official. I think that really adds to the dynamics and can help, you know, if something is overlooked, then it's a quick note from the outside official to help step in and say, hey, you know, I got that. Even though you didn't get a full count in on the drop down, I was able to to count it and and so we can work that out before we even go to a review that that was something that i saw as an outside official that maybe the inside official didn't catch so those are all things that kind of play into this but i guess to circle back to your question um it has been one of those things that with the significant amount of rule changes and the 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 size of these rule changes that there's so many that are are match affecting rule changes that uh, we just have to continue to work really, really hard and not let those sneak up on us, you know, during the season that these are discussed a lot at the beginning of the season and our pre and our preseason calls, our conference calls, and certainly at our conference that we attend that these are things that these are the focus and, 
and uh, points of emphasis, as we call them, the POEs. On, in the same vein as that, uh, you alluded to those being the big calls, the ones that are in your face, the ones that everyone in the arena uh, can see being called. On the other side of that, the smaller calls, the things that may be a little bit more up to interpretation, your, your stalemate calls, uh, cautions, yeah. stallings, things, things like that that are a little different from referee to referee, how difficult is that for you uh, in your position to try and level that playing field to where you know, a head coach or a wrestler isn't as concerned about who's refereeing their match to know that maybe they're a little quick on the whistle with some stalemate calls or maybe they're a little quick on some stalling calls. Because everybody wants, just wants consistency, right? Right, of yeah. course. I mean, that's, that's what you guys are striving for. Right. Absolutely. That is absolutely, that's the word that came to my mind right away is consistency. Mm-hmm. And um, there's two types of consistencies as I see it. The first consistency is amongst that one individual. Um, if, if, if a ref is calling the 125-pound match this way, uh, coaches want to see the same consistency at the one you know, the 165 pound match, right? So consistency amongst that one, for that one individual. And then there's also the idea of consistency of officials across the line that for the most part, you're seeing the same thing from one official to the next. Um, we know that that's told that in totality, that's not possible mm-hmm. that, you know, everybody's going to be exactly the same. But with that said, there are some areas and there are probably some um, boundaries that people try to work within. And, um, you know, you, you hopefully you're not going to see a match called significantly differently by two different officials uh, that the stall calls are, are the stall calls from one guy to the next. And that's one of the biggest challenges I think that we deal with across not only the Big Ten, but nationally. And uh, again, communication has been such a big part of what we're trying to, to build upon um, in the Big Ten and nationally to make sure that there is that consistency to, to the highest level that we can make it. And again, we know that that's not something that is just going to happen overnight, that everybody's going to be calling at, 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 at 207 during the first period, a stall call would have been hit right here. That, that's not realistic. But what is realistic is across the board that if we're seeing tendencies on the top guy doing these certain things, that that guy is probably going to get hit for stalling. Um, same thing in stalemates. You know, there was a point in time where I felt like, and, and so did some of the other officials, that there were too many stalemates being called. And this kind of was pushed through the official side of things. Talk to some of the people that, you know, were making the decisions. Uh, now, of course, Tim Shields in interpretations and working with the officials, Chuck Barbie and setting the rules that, uh, you know, just because there, there's engagement and guys aren't moving in a particular situation, if you call it stalemate and you do that a couple of times, these guys will work into those positions and you'll have 10 stalemates in a match. And so, you know, we, we want to make sure that that's not happening. So we allow guys enough time to work through situations and those stalemates so that you know, they're not becoming dependent upon the officials to bail them out on a single leg attack that goes south, you know, just sits there, n- nothing happening. So we don't want that to happen. And, and there's a number of other positions like that. So again, you guys nailed it. Your insights are strong in that area, obviously, because it is all about consistency and making sure to the best of our abilities that um, the signals are the same, you know, so the crowd and people, coaches understand what's being called. 
um, making sure that in those tight judgment situations that uh, we're seeing the same things across the line. And if there's anything that I probably do get pinged on with coaches, it would be that issue of consistency. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you being an official for so long now, being uh, head of Big Ten officiating, the last thing you want as an official is to change a match. I mean, obviously you want to call call it the way that it should be called and you want to get everything correct. Uh, obviously that's, that's always tough to do. Uh, but the last thing you want as an official is to change a match or to decide a match on, on a, something that may be controversial on your end and let it just be between the two wrestlers. Yeah, without question. I can tell you the most high-level officials, the last thing that they want to do is inject themselves into a match mm -hmm. where it's not necessary. Um, our job is to observe, make sure the rules are called uh, appropriately, make sure that you know we're abiding by ideas and concerns of safety and uh, certainly not inject ourselves into matches to change outcomes that's the last thing that we want to do right well we've got big tens coming up in, yeah, in a little you, you over up, a week you brought up big tens yeah it, it's uh yeah. it's knocking on the doorstep you coming to the scatterway oh yeah absolutely how, yeah, I'll be there. how has that been I'm, I'm really looking forward to yeah. it um of course since I've been calling um, the Big 12s in the past many, many years, uh, I, I haven't attended a Big 10 conference championship for quite some time. Um, I can't, I remember where it was the last time I was at, it was in Wisconsin. And I think I was actually even working for USA Wrestling at the time in Colorado Springs. And um, I was assigned to go out there. I have no idea why I was there, but I was there and I remember <laughs> the level of intensity that um, the Big Ten championships bring. And of course, I've watched it on the Big Ten network, uh, usually when I get home on, on video uh, tape. So it's been one of those things that um, I'm really, throughout this past year since I've taken this position, um, and I know that being you know, at Rutgers, it is absolutely gonna be packed. Um, I think their ability to, to seat people is capped at around 5,000. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if those, those tickets for every one person that's sitting there, there's another two outside that tried to get a ticket. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be intense. Uh, you know, the, wrestling in the big 10 right now, uh, like every year, but maybe even more this year than ever, uh, it's just so competitive, you know, what's happening at, at schools that have not finished maybe in the top two or three in the past. Uh, have so much elevated their game in the Big Tens. You know, Purdue is a great example. You know, Tony's doing a great job. Staff's doing a great job. Kids are doing a great job in spite of some injuries that uh, the team has had this year. And to go out and compete at that high level and be ranked consistently in the top 10, top 12, uh, it's just like every match from the beginning, first round to the end is going to have some significance probably on the national tournament too. Yeah. Well, it has to be rewarding for you too as well. I mean, speaking to the level of competition that the Big Ten brings and to the Big Ten uh, tournament, Big Ten championships, it has to be rewarding for you to be such a big part of that tournament getting put on and, and being able to, you know, obviously officiating such a big part of these matches. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I feel blessed to have this opportunity to work with the officials. Um, I feel that they, um, they've really risen to the occasion this year in some really high demand matches that we've witnessed and uh it's been an incredibly exciting year and so now we haven't even put the icing on the cake yet so that's 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 in front of us so how do you 
how do you go about picking the guys that are going to be under the lights when it comes time for, for Saturday and Sunday in Piscataway? Is that something that you do on the front end of the season? Is that something you finish up the duels and then you, and then you go out and you pick your guys? Like how does that, how does that work? And then how do you, is, what's the system like to figure out which guys are getting which matches? Yeah, I, well, you know, certainly <laughs> there's a lot that goes into that. I, I mean, yeah, I figured it wasn't like a, uh, you're not pulling names out of a hat. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, and the beginning rounds where, you know, it's really tough because you're just taking those matches as they come up. There's, there's no assignments. But as we approach the semis and the finals, then uh, we're, we're going to have to take a look at those and evaluate those. And I another great question but i don't know that i have an absolute answer but uh, it's an evaluation process that would include uh certainly a body of work you know over the years that these guys have put in to know that they can handle the the, the tighter matches and maybe you know tougher situations that are all thrown at us at, the, at that point in time but then also who's calling the match as well at the conference championships so it's going to be one of those things that it's like a total evaluation. It's not one of those that, you know, I would say that, well, just because this guy's been there and done that a hundred times that they're necessarily going to be put in that particular situation. And, um, you know, there's a bit of this too, that some of these guys need to be challenged, you know, to find out that, um, they are capable and, you know, I'm not dodging. I feel like all 12 guys that we have at the, at the conference championships are very capable. To, to make that those big match calls and, and get the job done. Uh, so I, I don't really look at it as, uh, you know, well, we're going to reward this guy with this particular match. That's not my nature to do that. My nature is more like who's uh, who fixed this, uh, this particular match better. And, and, you know, if we can avoid logistical issues that somebody's from a, a certain state, uh, then, then, and that's, kind of an obvious one that we can add into the equation as well uh just you know mostly it's perception um you know i i live in missouri i've certainly called many missouri matches over the year years but um if that can be avoided then why not avoid that one and so that often you know honestly offers in uh, uh, into the conversation it's not one that i would say you know because um Matt Sorenjinski is from um, Ohio that he couldn't call an Ohio State match. You know, that's not how I would perceive that. But uh, all things being equal, why put him in that position? Why put the coaches, the athletes in that position? You know, that's kind of the way, again, all things being equal. And that's usually not the case. It's actually in it's interesting, Hunter and, and Corey, you guys can tell me what you think. here. It's amazing to me how much this sounds like coaching, Mike, in the fact that you have to – you're managing a variety of different things and you talk about rewarding guys and you talk about having to make decisions on the fly of like, well, this guy is sharper today than maybe this guy. And so I'm going to throw him in there instead of, instead of him. And so, uh, it's intriguing. I, I, I guess I never, I never thought of it that way. And I never, I never knew that it, that it was that way. Well, that's, you know, I'm actually glad that you brought it up. You know, we were kind of talking before we went on camera that, um, being white, I, I have nothing to hide. Um, you know, I have a passion for coaching, you know, and that's what I've done all my life, high school, college, internationally, et cetera. And um, if I don't bring some of that along with this, then I don't feel like I'm 
you know, doing my best job, but uh, coaching definitely comes into play here. It's like, and I do evaluate it as though it is sort of a coaching um, issue that um, I want to put, I don't want to expose the athletes, but at the same time, I want to make sure that they're put in the best place to be successful, just like a coach would with their athlete out there. These guys, um, they work really, really hard, you know, and, and I know that the perception is, well, these guys just put on their uniforms three or four months of the year and they go out and blow the whistle. And there might've been a time and place where that took place, but those days have come and gone with the officials. This is a year round adventure for these guys. Um, they're not blowing the whistle per se, but they're studying video. Now, um, we're attending, you know, the conferences, uh, we're traveling to get to different places to hear information. And so it's uh, definitely a different game than it was years back. And, uh, and, and these guys, you know, they take it personal and it's, it's tough not to, uh, but at the same time, um, it is a profession and we want to make sure that we're doing the best by the conference. We're doing the best by the individual schools and the teams and the athletes that we represent when we're out there officiating. If only we had a coach with us today that could, like, <laughs> that could speak to the other end of that, that, you know, would, would really, you know, follow, give us some insight from the other side. Tony's really catching it today. He's not even here and he's, he's catching it from all angles. I think that's why. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mike, so. question for you of, do you, do you find yourself able to be a fan anymore? I mean, you've been a part of officiating for so long. You're yeah. now on this side of it. You've been on the mat with guys for a really while. Good question. When you're watching, you know, do you are you able to watch a match and separate yourself from the officiating a little bit, or are you constantly, you know, in the back of your mind nitpicking what a referee is doing, or maybe seeing that uh, they shouldn't shouldn't have called that there, or should have called that there? Do you get to just watch and enjoy wrestling anymore? Dude, I am the absolute worst fan. <laughs> I am the worst fan. I am either officiating coaching i still <laughs> wrestle it's like it just doesn't work for me i cannot sit in the stands and be a good fan um i uh, a matter of fact you know for very, for obvious reasons and maybe some not so obvious i mean i can't cheer on any particular team sure. i mean or go to an <laughs> arena wearing a jersey that is um you know with obvious letters on it or something like that so um, I'm not even a good fan at my daughter's dive meets. So it's, <laughs> I was like, why is a coach doing this? And, and those officials, what are they looking at? You know, it's like, it's, it's, um, I was, no, was going to ask you if you, if, 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 if you can't be a wrestling fan, did that like, has that like pushed you into another sport where you can be a fan? Like, does that? I'm horrible at all of it. <laughs> I'm a horrible baseball fan. Um, I am. Obviously, here I, I didn't have this on. I took it off, but as you there can you see, go. <laughs> Arrowhead Stadium is like five minutes from my house, hey. and so um, I'm. I, and I can't even go and watch because I'm too critical. So it's, I'm not good at that. <laughs> you're you're in. You're too deep into that world to to separate yourself. It's solid self awareness, though. I'll give you credit for that. Like you know, most people they don't have the, the self awareness to like realize that about themselves. You called yourself out from the get go. That's pretty solid. I've known this for. 40 years and I'm not a good fan. So. <laughs> well, Mike, we've been talking for almost 40 minutes and I'm sure that we could stay here all day, but for real. I bet you've got a lot on your plate. Uh, so we'll let you go for a little bit. We appreciate you uh, talking to us for a little bit and uh, we're, we're excited. 
you'll be able to be out at uh, Piscataway in a couple weeks. Yeah, I'm really excited, fellas, and um, great job. Uh, really appreciate it. Anytime I mean, you want me to come back, happy to come back next year. and Maybe we can visit before the season. We can talk about some new rules and stuff coming up. But, that sounds um, awesome. Really appreciate what you guys do and bring to the table. So thanks yeah. for having next, me on. Next time we'll have uh, Coach Ursuline on to, uh, to bridge that gap a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You can, yeah. you can bust his balls in face-to-face -face <laughs> as opposed to, you know, without him here. He'll throw a challenge break at the laptop. <laughs> yeah, we'll give him a challenge. I love it. Yeah, and tell my boy Daniel hi for me, too. We will. will do. We'll do. Well, thank you all for watching us on another edition of the Always Aggressive Podcast. Tanner, Corey behind the scenes, and a special thank you to Mike Haggerty uh, for joining us as well. Big Ten's coming up. Always an exciting part of the season. Uh, so we'll see you in a couple weeks to, to uh, recap that and to look ahead to that. All uh, right. Always Aggressive Podcast. Thanks for joining us. As always, boiler up. <laughs>